Hi, Gene Baxter here for Podcast Radio. I don't know a lot of things, but I do know that if you tried to engage in a war of words with Susie Dent, you would lose. She knows them all. She is a lexicographer. She is an etymologist. And if you don't think you know her, you do. You've seen her in Dictionary Corner on the Channel 4 Game Show Countdown for nearly 30 years. Also, she appears on 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown with Jimmy Carr. Susie loves words and has her whole life. She loves them so much, she's got her own podcast too. It's called Something Rhymes with Purple, co-hosted with Giles Brandeth. It's terrific and you should check it out. But first, let's check in with Susie and find out why we should never stop learning and how much fun learning new words can be. Susie, I, I know you hear this all the time, but I am fanboying out very hard right now for the opportunity to speak with you. It's a real thrill. How are you today? Oh, thank you. I'm extremely well. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Now, I know that you are here to improve my and the nation's paltry vocabulary by teaching us a new word a day. How are you going to do it? How does it work? Um, yes, I'm sure it's not paltry. And I guess the first thing I would say is please don't be scared of, of vocabulary. Don't be scared of language. You know, give always give it a go. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to address really at the moment is the lack of confidence that people have in their vocabulary. So Amazon did some uh, research showing that a quarter of us at least feel that our vocabulary is kind of average at best. And three quarters of us would be quite nervous about talking fluently in particular areas. It might be finance, it might be politics. And so we tend to avoid those subjects altogether, um, which obviously is kind of, you know, then in turn taking us away from potentially a lot of kind of fruitful, useful discussion and exposure to, you know, what's going on in the world. So the effort today is really to say, what can we do to improve our vocabulary? Not so that we can outsmart other people, but that we, so that we can feel more confident and we're able to articulate, you know, whatever it is we're thinking or feeling a little bit better. So lots of different ways. I'm working with, with Amazon itself actually on Alexa. So people can now ask for the next month, they can ask Alexa, what's the word of the day and um, hopefully um, my word will come up and it will it will be a word that I particularly love either because I think although it's from the past it has such potential currency today or it's just a word that we may have forgotten or that just might be useful in our general vocabulary so that's one way well I've learned so many words Susie from seeing you on television on your social media on your podcast but I guess the, the the stumbling block for me is I'll come across a beautiful word that you've taught me, like apricity recently, the warmth of sun on a winter's day, which is just a gorgeous word. It just it feels good to say, and you can picture the feeling as you say yeah. the word. But I feel like if I were to use that word in a sentence, no one around me would have any idea what I was talking yeah. about. And, I, and it, it, it kind of falls off a cliff. I feel like it's a, it, the, the chain is broken so early. So how do we spread these words around to the point where they get used? Well, you're absolutely right, first of all. Um, usage is is the final arbiter of language. So we don't have in English, we don't have, for English rather, we don't have an academy saying, this is the right word and this is the wrong word. Um, dictionaries reflect the way that we are speaking and writing. So, you know, the more we use something, as you say, the more it will get out there, the more understood it will be. Be. But I think in the first instance, that shouldn't really stop you using it because you can then explain what it is and have a lovely conversation about what a beautiful word it is and how useful it is. And then about the feeling that it's describing that the warmth on your back of the sun on an otherwise, you know, chilly day. And, and then you can sort of revel in the beauty of language. And that takes you just to the most beautiful discussion because people only need to be reminded how passionate they are of language before they will literally talk for, you know, 
for, for hours. So if you ask somebody what their favorite word is, what their least favorite word is, it's a brilliant conversation starter. So yeah, don't be afraid of using it, but you can give a definition for it. And then, as I say, just revel with the other person in, in the beauty of that word. I think you need to contact some of your friends in the media, maybe uh, the people who write the headlines for the Daily Mail and start getting them to use some <laughs> of your recent words like throttle bottom and yes. empleomaniac, the words that are so appropriate for people in government today. That's how you make them famous, right? As you put them in big type on the front of a newspaper. Yes, very, very good point. Well, hopefully uh, we'll be doing a little bit of that with um, with the Alexa word of the day. But um, yes, you're right. They do need to be picked up. And I just can't really understand how they ever fell out of use because as you say, they're, they're so relevant, aren't they, Jean, to, to you know, Perfect. particular individuals or, and what's lovely is I might tweet one of these day, these words as my word of the day, and people will appropriate them as they see fit, doesn't matter what their political viewpoint is, they will always have somebody that this epithet can be applied Certainly, to. Certainly, yes. Um, so it's, it actually shows you just how versatile our language is, because people can use it as they want. Now, Susie, you make an excellent point when you describe how dictionaries are descriptive, not prescriptive. Mm. In other words, they're meant to reflect actual usage. They're not a rule book of somebody who says how we should speak. But I feel like your job as somebody who's involved in creating dictionaries should be to throw a red flag once in a while <laughs> when this nonsense like supposedly or irregardless comes along. Because honestly, supposedly is, is this week, okay? How does it make sense, please explain to me, to have two words now in the dictionary, supposedly and the correct supposedly, that mean the exact same thing? I feel like you need to intervene. <laughs> yes, I think people are often longing for the kind of firm smack of linguistic government and just want people to say, no, no, this isn't right. The first thing I would say is that most dictionaries, um, including the, the Oxford one that I use in my work, they will give you a usage note. So they will tell you what's standard and what is not standard. Um, I know Merriam-Webster have done a lot of work on explaining to people about irregardless. And yes, you know, it's not entirely right but then nor is using literally to mean figuratively you know but that I think if we are to accept that English is a living language we have to accept that it evolves and the one kind of consolation I can give you here Jean is that actually a lot of the words we use today are born or were born of mistakes in the past so the, the example I often give just because I love it is the Jerusalem artichoke what has it got to do with Jerusalem you might think the answer is absolutely nothing it was simply because we couldn't pronounce the French um, or the Italian girasol, a sunflower, because it's a member of the heliotrope family. So girasol sounded a bit like Jerusalem, so we stuck that in, in instead. And there are so many examples of that where we just couldn't quite get our heads around something, so we changed it to something more familiar. And that, for me, is one of the joys of our language, is that you can just scratch below the surface and find a fantastic story like that. Well, I know that you are rarely stumped, and I'm certain that this won't stump you, but please tell me if you know, how did flammable and inflammable come to mean the exact same thing when they should be opposites? Yes, well, inflammable, you're right, and I think most people, most manufacturers of um, duvets and blankets have now just simply resorted to saying highly flammable, because inflammable is understandably interpreted as a negative because you have things like you know insane or inaccurate etc which expresses the negative of the adjective that it follows in this case it's because uh, well two things one is in as a prefix can rarely but it can operate as an intensifier so inflammable can mean 
highly flammable, mm -hmm. but also it's coming from the verb to inflame, uh, meaning to set a light. So it's kind of morphed through its usage from, from that particular beginning. So that kind of explains its etymology, but you know, because in is more often than not used as a, as a negator of something, it did become confusing. And so rightly, I think that one's dropping out of use. And that's, you know, we have to be pragmatic with language and accept that, you know, if, if something is misleading, we will then change it. And we have the power to do that because English is a democracy. That is a very good answer, Susie. I will allow that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Susie Dentist, our guest here on Podcast Radio. You can just ask Alexa for the word of the day and you might hear Susie reading you a good one. A big picture question for you. How many words are there in the English language? And are we at the high end of languages in terms of how many words we actually have available to us? Oh, I hate this question. Um, I'll tell you why I hate it. It's because it all depends how what what you sort of count as a word. So um, obviously, we have hundreds and hundreds of 1000s. But many words have lots and lots of different inflections or different uses. So for example, take use, which I the word I've just used, would you count use, used, using, usable, usage, uh, it, it's just almost impossible to count because they all count in Scrabble, they do all count in Scrabble. Um, but would you then would you then sort of say these are all different words and say we should kind of count those, you know, I, I, I suppose the the number of words, maybe you start with a million, the number will grow by several thousand each year. But it is important to remember that all of these include different different forms of the same word. So it's everyone's counting differently. If you look in the um, the Oxford English Dictionary, which is my Bible, I think there are probably about just over half a million, maybe 600,000 word forms in there. A lot of them are words that you know, some, some of the ones that I'm trying to reintroduce, words that aren't used anymore. So you'll see it's such a movable feast and I haven't really given you a very good answer, but it, it's just so difficult to nail it down because of the different numbers we have. Certainly, yes. Here's a, a question about a dictionary I've never had the opportunity to ask an expert about. When new editions are written, of course, your primary job is to make sure you, you include all the new words for that year. Yeah. Is there somebody who goes back and takes a look at older words to make sure those definitions are still accurate in the 21st century? And part two of my question is, especially these days when language has become in the news as being inflammatory in some cases, to go back to a word we used earlier. For instance, the story about a student, uh, a student in trouble for saying rule Britannia. Would something like that then have an impact on the next version of the dictionary where somebody might add rule Britannia may be considered offensive to some, that sort of thing? Yeah, certainly I think it's important to look out for the register of a word. So dictionaries will tell you if something is considered offensive. What they don't tend to do is allow for people to petition for a word to go in or to go out. So quite often and I'm asked you, how do I get a word in the dictionary? And the answer to go back to our previous point is always usage, get it used, get it recognized, you know, and I mean, obviously it's, it's a legitimate word one way or the other, but if you want it in a dictionary, usage is, is the final referee. But yes, look out for the register. We, we don't tend to take words out because people have asked us to, but it is really important to point out when a word is considered offensive and, you know, just highlighting the fact it needs to be used with care. But, you know, it's, it's going back to that very important 
premise that actually dictionaries are describing language and they're not telling us how to use them. So quite often people say to me, why is slang in the dictionary? You know, why, why have you got that in? That's just not proper English. But actually slang, because it's the fastest moving area of language that we have, apart from emojis, is precisely the one that needs to be looked up quite often by the people who don't understand it because it's designed to be a code that keeps outsiders out. So there's a very good reason for why slang is in the dictionary. But yeah, dictionary compilers are really, really important, uh, really careful to note how a word is being used. And if it is being interpreted as offensive or being used in offensive ways, then more often than not, that will be noted. All right. Last question for me. And maybe it's the greatest movie I ever saw about a dictionary. I'm dying to know for your perspective as an insider, the professor in the madman, oh, Mel yeah. Gibson, Sean Penn. I enjoyed that movie very much. And if it actually was reflecting something that happened, which is that the people of the nation were asked to send in words for possible inclusion of the dictionary. I think that's a pretty cool way to get the thing started. It's, it's, you know, it's a brilliant book by Simon Winchester as well. I would definitely recommend it. It's an extraordinary story, isn't it? And, um, you know, the Oxford English Dictionary still has armies of readers right across the world. And what they are doing is not only looking for words that might not be in the dictionary, that might be worthy of mention or worthy of note, but also looking for earlier records of a word. So um, sometimes the Oxford English Dictionary will put out appeals saying, do you have earlier written evidence of something like, for example, in Britain, you know, the the plowman's lunch, <laughs> which, as any Brit will know, is kind of, you know, a bit of bread and cheese and pickle and pickled onions and all sorts. And actually, they might only have written records going back to the 1960s, but they know that a plowman's lunch was around before then. So they're constantly relying on people to notice these things and then to send it in. So it's very much a huge kind of democratic, but, but sort of shared endeavor. I can see how much you enjoy your job and it just must be so gratifying to think that seven-year-old Susie Dent would have been very pleased to see what the adult woman is doing with herself. Oh, do you know what? At seven, I think I had already discovered French and German vocabulary books. So I would have been the nerdy one sitting in the back of the car, just immersing myself in those vocabulary books on the way to like, you know, family trips to the South Coast or whatever. I was already lost in them and I can't quite understand why, but I'm very, very glad that that was the one passion that I discovered early. Well, it worked out for you and it's worked out for us because of your work. It's so great to get a chance to chat with you. I'm a big fan. Thank you for the time on Podcast Radio, Susie. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.